Chuck and Taryn are a gift. They took a total risk on me and could have brought me over here and it could have bombed terribly. And who knows, maybe it did. You'll talk about that when I'm gone. But, man, thank you for the trust, for the opportunity. Lillian and I will remember this for the rest of our lives. And uh, I will go home telling people the Church of Scotland has a bright future. Because I've been with you. Uh, To see you, to have meals with you, to swim at the pool with you, to go on walks, to drive around town. God is on the move. Don't look now, but God is on the move in Scotland. Uh, So praise God for you. Praise God for you. Uh, Let's quiet our hearts real quick here. I don't know if you're tired. I'm tired. We just had Easter. And so, Lord, in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. We are not here because we're awesome. We are not here to gather around and talk about how strong we are. We're not here because we're endlessly creative. We're not here because we're deeply wise. We're here because you are God and you've called us to be your people. We're here because you're the one who raises the dead to life and you speak those things that are not as though they were. And so we're okay today where we are. We're okay today with how we feel. And we pray that as we we finish up our time together today as a group. We pray that you would send us out of here with your strength and with your power and with your wisdom, with all that we need for the work you've called us to. So we trust you for that, Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and all God's people said. Today I want to talk to you about engaging in spiritual direction. Engaging in spiritual direction. So we've talked about friendship important it's crucial you must have it we've talked about fathers and mothers and the faith but now we're talking about the thing that the Lord has called us to which is to care for his people to shepherd his flock and you and I find ourselves in front of people all the time it's our job people we talk we listen we pray people come to us because of our uh, positions And they have a sense that we might have uh, the ability to be in touch with God and to lead them, to help them, to answer questions. Uh, But there's a long-standing tradition, practice of spiritual direction, uh, that I want to put in front of you today. But let me just start it with this. St. Augustine said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Oh, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We all want to help people, and people come to us asking for help, but the question is, what do we do when they get in front of us? There's a few paths. Either either we can be heavy-handed. There have been different movements in the last hundred years of Okay, you want to follow God? Well, give us your bank account number, and we want to look through all the ways you've spent all the ways you've spent money, and we want to tell you, okay, we're the spiritual parents, and you're all the children, and and it's just this kind of rigid, heavy. Uh, we're going to tell you what to do because we're the ones that know God. Uh, that's not us. 
Um, there's also the, you swing the pendulum back, this, this very laid back, well, let's just get together for coffee and just blah, and not do anything and not have a track that we're on, just kind of sloppy hanging out in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's not an option either. There are small groups that are based simply on interest. Oh, I like this or I like that, and let's just get together. And But does discipleship automatically occur? Not necessarily. So what is spiritual direction? And I'll give you a simple definition here today. Spiritual direction takes place when two people agree to give their full attention to what God is doing in one or both of their lives and seek to respond in faith. Full attention. We agree to give our full attention to what God is doing in one or both of our lives, and we seek to respond in faith. So I want to put three convictions that underpin spiritual direction. I want to put those in front of you. Three convictions that underpin spiritual direction. First, God is always at work. God is always at work. Uh, None of this God's move and then our move business. God doesn't go, okay, now what are you going to do next? I'm just going to sort of take a little retreat and back away. And, you know, it's not, it's not chess. It's not a chess match. God is always at work. God is always wooing. God is always drawing. God, again, we must be Trinitarian. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is the constant activity of drawing the world into himself. God is always at work. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, many of you will know this passage. But Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Many of us stop there. Work out, work it out. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for God, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. For it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you, causing you to will and causing you to do his good pleasure. God is pulling up obedience from the depths. God is drawing us into himself Uh, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, says St. Augustine. God is always at work. I want to encourage you with this, that this isn't just about spiritual direction for the people in our churches. We're hungry to see the church of Scotland grow. We're hungry to see the lost be found. We're hungry to see those who are on the fringes be brought into the center of God's love. This is why there's, you know, 21 church plants coming in by 2021. Like God is, God, at Aberdeen, God is drawing you to go outward and to move outward. God is always at work. And, and Lillian and Wilson and Wakely, our kids, they all play soccer, football, right? And we do more work on the sidelines at soccer uh, than about anywhere else. That's our mission field. And we've got young kids. It's the stage of life that we're in. And we're living with the assumption that God is at work on the sidelines. And so we're walking those sidelines. And after a few years of being with the same families, and they ask you, you know, the week one, you're standing on the sidelines with the other parents and the kids are playing. And they go, so what did you do? And you, you, you know, I used to go, well, I'm a teacher, you know. 
I, I technically teach, you know. You, you say I'm a pastor and people glaze over, right? Oh, great. <laughs> so I just go, yeah, I'm a pastor. And immediately you, people come to attention or they, you know, give you the middle finger or something. Um, but now these people, you, you're starting to see, I had this one guy, totally godless brother, very smart, COO of his company. He's, he's balling. He's, he's killing it. And, you know, two years ago, he asked me what I do. I'm a pastor. But he's noticed that I've been nice to him over the last two years. He's noticed that I've taken an interest in his children over the last two years. We've been able to carpool their kids and take them to the games when mom and dad are out traveling. We've lived decently in front of them. And he recently called me and he said, hey, can we get lunch? I'd like to talk to you about life. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. He didn't call some of the other dads on the team, not because they wouldn't have been decent guys, but something in him was provoked by, by the work of God in our lives. And so I'm just here to challenge you. God is always at work, and be evangelistic, be on the hunt, be on the prowl, keep your eyes open, go out and chase down. Let's be the people who are pushing God is always at work. Three convictions that underpin spiritual direction. God is always at work. The second thing is responding to God is not sheer guesswork. Responding to God is not sheer guesswork. Do you know that we have the guidance of the historic practices of Christ followers throughout the centuries? Do you know that we've got the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of disengagement? Do you know that there are disciplines of disengagement? Silence, solitude, retreat, pulling away. Responding to God very often looks like getting quiet. It looks like taking a day away from people so that when you're in front of people, you can be fully alive. If you're constantly running and running and running and running and running and always with people, uh, you're going to be running thin. You're going to be living off of uh, fumes. Responding to God is not your guesswork. Disciplines of disengagement, disciplines of engagement, the life of Christ, prayer, study, meditation, going for it, calling on the name of the Lord, fasting and prayer, disciplines of pressing in. There is this pressing in and this going out. We see this in the life of Jesus, Mark 1.35, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the noisy house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Disciplines of engagement, disciplines of disengagement, uh, as we think about spiritually directing people, one of the questions I'll ask people when they come and sit in front of me is, well, tell me about your prayer, prayer life. I think we just sort of take that for granted that people pray. Like we just assume. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? And be like, okay, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to get wisdom or discernment on this big decision Tell me about your interaction with the Lord. 
And what you discover is it's just kind of, well, when I'm driving to work and racing in in traffic, then I'll just, you know, throw up some prayers. Well, that's not going to work. Spiritual engagement, spiritual direction is helping people learn to come to the deep place with God. Responding to God is not sheer guesswork. The third conviction that underpins spiritual direction is that each soul, each person is unique. Can you honor the mystery of the person in front of you? There is no one-size-fits-all response. There is no perfect answer for every single person. Each soul is unique. I like to study a person like I study a text. As you're spiritually directing, be drawing out the threads, be listening for the for the moments where the Holy Spirit's going to say, there it is, there's the nerve. Did you hear that? Went back to, they keep talking about their dad. So you ask questions about that. What, tell me what's going on there. Each soul is unique. And one of the really frustrating things that can happen in, in these kinds of pastoral settings is when people come in and there's this, this kind of a heavy-handed, like, do this. These are the two things everyone has to do. And it's a little bit jolting. So when you're spiritually directing someone, you come in with the assumption that they are unique and that you have to pay attention. Okay, so that's the three attitudes that underpin. Now, I want to I put three attitudes that shape spiritual direction in front of you, okay? Three attitudes that shape spiritual direction. First is cultivate an attitude of awe. Cultivate an attitude of awe. This guy on the soccer so- sidelines... Is a, is a different kind of guy. I don't spend much time with guys like him. And his wife is this brilliant philosophy professor at the local university and high-functioning family. And I don't come to him uh, with scorn. Oh, you're just one of those intellectuals who's just so difficult to be with and liberal and, uh, you know, I wish you were like me. No, I go, wow, God, what a, this is beautiful what you did here. What a mind. Uh, Beautiful interests. Pay attention to cultivate an attitude of awe with the people God sends you. Don't arrive at conclusions about a person beforehand. Don't be quick. This is God's handiwork. Study them as attentively as you would study a text that you're going to preach. Cultivate an attitude of awe. The second thing is cultivate an awareness of your ignorance. I think I put hand, uh, thank you for cleaning me up there, Scott. Cultivate an awareness of your ignorance. Oh, yeah, I misspelled that, my bad. Your ignorance, forgive me. Speaking of ignorance, (laughs) my bad. Cultivate an awareness of your ignorance. Realize that you didn't write the book on them nor are you going to. It's good to feel out of your depths. We're not here to hand out cheap answers. Be slow to resolve, and please, uh, just remember this. Be slow to resolve the tension in someone else's life. We are fixers, right? At least I am. And, you know, I say, what can I do? Okay, tell me the issue. Let's work on this. Let's, okay, I think I can get you turned around in about 30 minutes and send you out of here better. 
Be slow to resolve the tension in someone's story because God is at work there. Be slow to help people feel okay and like they, they're able to just move on from this moment. Typically, people end up in front of us because God has been at work for a long time and they're, they're, they're feeling the screws tightened on them. So our job is not to make it easier. If we can bring comfort, if we can bring encouragement, absolutely. But don't, don't resolve the tension in someone's life that God has been creating to bring them to a moment of transformation. Cultivate an awareness of your ignorance. The third thing is cultivate a predisposition toward prayer. In your meetings with folks, are you praying? I don't ask for permission anymore. I, I assume if someone's coming to meet with me, they're just signing up for me. <laughs> and we pray. And so sometimes just putting, I've, I've done this out at the soccer pitch. Put my hand on someone's shoulder. They're talking to me about life. And, and I say, I'm just going to pray real quick. And everyone knows what to do in that moment. I mean, godless and Christ follower alike, everyone just kind of stops. And so I just pray, Lord, we pray right now. Cultivate a predisposition toward prayer. We've got to rely on God. Prayer is how we break our habit of self-reliance. And in praying with people, what we're teaching them is to turn upward. Cultivate a predisposition toward prayer. And now I want to put in front of you three questions. Three questions that help in spiritual direction. Questions that you can ask the people that the Lord sends to you that will help provoke conversation. The first thing is, what is the Lord saying or doing in your life? I know that sounds really obvious. But we don't tell people what God is doing in their lives. I'm not living in their story like they are. I'm an outsider. I'm a Johnny-come-lately to their details. And so I want to ask them what God is doing in their lives. What is God saying? What are the threads that have been coming together? We discover this by looking for places of tension or anxiety, worry, joy, hope. You look for the Kairos moments. You help them discover Really what we're doing is we're walking with people and helping them discover what God is already doing, what God has been up to by asking good questions. What, what's God been saying? What's God been doing in your life? One of the ways you find this is you help people discover the cross in each, each life. You help them discover the cross that Jesus has asked them to carry. You think about the, the people in our congregation. You know, we're the first generation of people who have, uh, I've got 70-year-old people in our congregation who are taking care of their parents, who are wanting to be with their grandchildren, right? So I've got people, I know a lady who's in our congregation who's 73, and her 94-year-old dad is living with her, and she's a single woman on a fixed income, and whoa. And that's a part of the that's a part of the the cross that she's carrying right now. And, and I don't mean to say that her dad is a burden. He's not. But but it's difficult for her as a seventy three year old woman. Her body's breaking down herself with a fixed income, and her dad doesn't have any money. So so you just pay attention to the story that that people are living, and you you help people discover 
what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is doing. Pay attention to the cross in each person's life. Second question you can ask is, so how can you cooperate with his work? What would it look like for you to cooperate with God's work? Help them develop a plan or commit to a practice. If not immediately, then eventually this is a low control, high accountability model. Right? I can't force anyone. It's low control. I can't make someone create a plan. I can't make someone press in. But, but it's a high accountability. Like, if you want to go for this, I'll go for this with you. I'll sign up to be a part of this journey with you if you decide to go for it. How can I cooperate with his work? That's a question you want people to ask. But then the third question is how can I help you? I think, I think it's assumed. We assume that when people come to us as pastors that we're saying that. But I've just discovered in years of doing this that it's important to say it. How can I help you? As a pastor in your life, as a friend in your life, what can I do to walk alongside you? How can I help your family? I, I'm clear to just say, if there's anything that I can possibly do, I will do it. It's weird to, to just give someone a blank check when you know you... Like, under-promise and over-deliver. Um, but how can I help you? We can walk along, on, alongside them. We can pray with them, not for them, with them. Not for, oh, let me pray for you. It, it's, it's distant, it's, I'm above, I'm going to pray down for you. No, let me, let me pray with you. Let me level the playing field. How can I help you? We engage in spiritual direction, spiritual disciplines with them. Hey, let's memorize a psalm together. You know, someone who's been out of the scriptures for a long time and they haven't heard the voice of God and you take them through the Psalms and so we'll say, hey, let's memorize Psalm 121 together over the next two months. And when we get together, we talk and we pray, we practice it. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where, how are you doing? We engage in the spiritual disciplines with them. Uh, the power of fasting with someone. You want to put all the chips on the table. Stop eating. <laughs> Take the chips off the table. <laughs> but there's power in, say, hey, I'll get in the yoke with you. I'll, I, I won't eat tomorrow. And you don't eat tomorrow either. And let's just see what God says. Let's circle back. Can we intentionally engage one another and become companions along the way of the cross? spiritual direction. And then I wanted to ask a few of these questions here about our work, put a few things in front of you. We as pastors, very often, as I said uh, in session one, we are the receivers of people's pain, um, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We, that, that's a part of our job. Very often that can get heavy. Spiritually directing people can get heavy. Walking with people on the way of the cross can get heavy. 
And sometimes I know this is just how I process it. Sometimes I get angry about that. I would never say it that way. I would never say I'm so mad that I have to be a receiver of someone's pain. But when you take on enough pain, it starts to build up a little bit, and you get. A, sometimes I get chippy with the kids. Ah, yeah. And if you were to sort of pull that up, what you'd find is a an anger about the work that God has called me into. Henry Nowen described the anger he saw in Christian leaders, and he said anger, quote, seems close to a professional vice in the contemporary ministry. A professional vice. This is not an open, blatant, roaring anger, but an anger hidden beneath the smooth word, the smiling face, the polite handshake. If there is anything that makes the ministry look grim and dull, it is this dark, insidious anger in the servants of Christ. And so I wrote down this uh, recently. I wrote, I'm in this chair willingly. I'm not a victim. I've not been coerced into this job. I've owned everything that comes with this role. I'm in this of my own volition. I've responded to Jesus, so when it gets bad, I will not act as if someone is holding me hostage in this job. And if I'm unwilling to live in this role joyfully, I should quit. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. This is my journal. So can I just put a few statements in front of you that I'd, I'd like you to write down to pray through to chew on, to take before the Lord. First is long memory of the good. Long memory of the good. Second statement goes right there with it, short memory of the bad. Do you know you can get a hundred emails Pastor, lead, oh, thank God for what he's doing. You're such a blessing. You're such a gift. You're such a, you're such a, and you can get one email that's chippy, that's mean, that's complaining, and you forget 100 emails. And something gets buried in your spirit, and it starts to fester, and it starts to make make you dark. It starts to make you angry. It, it, it's, a, it's a buried anger, but it's an anger that comes out in everything we do. A long memory of the good, a short memory of the bad. Next statement, always quick to repent. If you're going to be a spiritual director, if you're going to lead in God's house, if you're going to care for his flock, always quick to repent. Do you, know, do you know the beauty of humility? I don't know what it is about us as we get more authority, but something in us, like the devil, tells us that we've got to be stronger. We've got to we've got to rise up. Actually, Jesus is the one who gets down and washes feet. The more power you get, the lower you must go. Always quick to repent. Do you know the power of going to someone, a volunteer in your church, and you just go, "Look, I'm sorry." The other day, when I just kind of quickly ran by you, I. Let me just tell you what was going on. I was thinking about, I had to get my notes in right before the service, and I had six things to do. I want you to know I'm so sorry for racing past you like that. I didn't intend that to come across that way. Please forgive me. And people go, whoa. They, they bumped into Jesus. 
I'm so sorry. Quick to repent. In ministry, you have to keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Don't let stuff stack up. Don't let months go by. Don't let frustration pile on frustration. Don't let stuff fester. Don't let stuff work in your heart because you know the devil works in the silences. And so it's our job to eliminate the silences and so cast out the devil. Eliminate the silences. Please forgive me. Hey, how are you feeling? Hey, can I share my heart with you? I'm so sorry. I'm, 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 I'm and when we just open ourselves up like that, we're quick to repent, it breaks the silence and it drives the devil out. Yeah. Next statement. So long memory of the good, short memory of the bad, always quick to repent, always assuming the best. You know, we always assume the best about ourselves. We, I, at least I do. But it's really easy to assume the worst about others. When I, when I do something, when I'm cross with someone, I go, well, he, you know, I didn't really. But when someone's cross with me, I go, They're, why are they always like that? Why do we do that to people? We assume the best about ourselves, but we assume the worst about others. So always assuming the best. Fifth thing, always willing to confront. I have an old sage in my life who's said this to me for the last 15 years. He says, the shortest distance be between two people is the truth. <laughs> the shortest distance between two people is the truth. Always willing to confront. There's a man in my church who's been going astray, and I've been watching it for, for some time. And it's sort of the unspoken thing, the elephant in the room. You've been watching this guy drift. And so I sat down and wrote him a three-page letter recently, and I sent it to him in the mail. There's something about a letter. You know, I could have fired off an email. I could have texted him. Hey, man, what's up with you and God? You know, it just wouldn't have done anything. But one day he comes home from work, and he goes to the mailbox and gets this letter from me, and opens it up, and it's a very heartfelt and a very direct letter and he breaks, always willing to confront. If we've been called to spiritually direct people, and if we know that the enemy is out like a roaring lion seeking to devour, when we see someone getting ready to get devoured, you, you step in, you say it, you, you speak up, always willing to confront. The next statement, always looking to forgive. Love covers over a multitude of sins. It's okay. I release you. Always looking to forgive. Another statement, always happy to converse. Do you know that people are just most of the time wondering if we're willing to chat about it? People aren't trying to be difficult, but they've got questions, they've got concerns. And if we're approachable, if we're always willing to chat, if we're easily receiving people, I think it will take care of a lot of the, the issues. And then the last statement is always inviting the Spirit. Always inviting the Spirit. All of us in this room want to be at this for the long haul. We want to be found faithful. We want to come to the end and be able to look back and not see destruction. I, I, here's one of my things. I want to be able to walk down any hallway and be able to look anyone I see in the eye. 
I don't want to have any enemies. And where I can where I can destroy the brokenness of what the devil has done, where I can eliminate the silences, where I can make things right, where I can walk down a hallway. I just know my heart and my soul is clean when I can walk down a hallway and I don't see someone and have to go like this. And when I feel myself going like this around someone, the work that God has called me to do is to go like this and to make it right. And so to spiritually direct, to be leaders in God's house, uh, it requires a different way of being. It requires tenderness and humility. It requires uprooting the anger that insidiously sneaks deep into our hearts. And it requires being a servant. So that's what I have for you today. I wanted to take some time, leave it open, and pray. Pray blessing, pray fruitfulness, pray the life of God over your work. And so would you quiet your hearts and let's put ourselves in the presence of the Lord here. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. You have called us into this life. You have called us into this work. You have saved us and delivered us and redeemed us and you've made us ministers of reconciliation. And so I pray over your ministers right now. I pray, Lord, that you would increase their spiritual authority. I pray that this would be a season where indeed something in the heavenlies shifts. Where you would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on them in ways that they won't even have room enough to contain. I pray, Lord, you would make them magnetizing figures in the communities you've placed them. I pray that just as Peter walked uh, by the man on the side of the road, and even his shadow healed them. Lord, I pray that there'd be something about our presence that changes the atmosphere for people. I pray, Lord, we would walk into rooms, and where there's chaos, the peace of God would come. I pray, Lord, that we would walk into rooms, and where there's confusion, that the wisdom of God would come. I pray, Lord, that you would make us those who speak the very oracles of God, that you'd make us confident that our words matter, that our words are powerful, that as people stand up to proclaim the scriptures, and there's some in here who are preaching to five-year-old children, and there's some in here who are preaching to full congregations, and it's all the same. Lord, I pray that you would make these workers in your field powerful. Lord, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And so we pray, Lord of the harvest, that you would send more laborers. We pray we would look up in this room five years from now and see that we need a new room. Lord, we ask for more laborers in the field. And I pray for these pastors and leaders and shepherds in your flock who are weary right now because there's not enough laborers. And I pray that the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God would fill their lungs. Some of you need to take a good deep breath today as a sign of faith that I receive 
from the Lord the deep breath of fresh air. Lord, we pray wind of the Spirit sweep through this place. And Jesus breathed on them and he said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. We pray wind of God come. Lord, I pray for provision for those who are scared of the future and those who are wondering where the money is going to come from, either personally or for the church. Lord, I pray that you would supernaturally provide all their needs. I, I, I speak to lack and I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Jesus, you said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And so we bind lack. We bind confusion and we bind fear about lack. And Jesus, you said, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I loose the joy of the Lord to be their strength. I loose provision from the heavenly places. I loose, Lord, the, the, the strength of God. I loose confidence in your work. I loose faith to rise up in your people. Lord, I pray that the stuff that bothers us now would fall off. And that a year from now, we'd look up and we'd go, that doesn't bother me anymore. I'm free of that. Lord, I ask in every single church for radical salvation. Lord, I pray that you would drive people out of hiding and into the light. We pray, Lord, the people in our communities and in our, our, our neighborhoods, we pray them hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And all those people who've been satisfied with those things that destroy, we pray that you would make those things grotesque in their mouth, Lord. We pray that you would make those people uh, weary of the things that used to satisfy them. We pray that we pray what Sir Francis Drake prayed, disturb us, O Lord. <laughs> disturb those people out of their comforts. Disturb those people out of their ways of being that have led to death. And we pray that you would drive them out into the wide open spaces of the kingdom of God. We pray that people would walk into these churches and just go, I don't know why I'm here. I just know this is my place. Lord, I pray that you'd make these pastors and leaders prepared. I pray that they would be ready for the harvest. I pray that the nets would be tightened up so that when they, when they throw it down, that, that it wouldn't break. Lord, we pray that there would be an incredible, this is Easter season, Easter tide. We pray, Lord, that the life of the Spirit would be poured out in these communities so that people who are walking in darkness would see the great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus, this is your government. This is your leadership. The church is yours and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, and of the rule and the increase of his government, there will be no end. Jesus Christ, rise in our communities. Jesus Christ, be glorified in our communities. You said if you would be lifted up above the earth, you would draw all people unto yourself. And Lord, we're desperate. We do not want to do church as usual. We don't want to mail it in. We don't want to be comfortable. We don't want to just sit back and, and, and keep the machine going. We want to be hungry. We want to be on the edge of our seats. We want to be passionate. We want to press in. We want to go for it. We want to count the cost and take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow you. So Jesus, disturb us. Disturb us with whatever that looks like. Shake us out of being asleep at the wheel and wake us up. Lord, I pray in the night you'd give us dreams and visions. 
the Ethiopian unit calling, saying, come up here. Lord, as they're thinking about church planning, and I lay hands on Chuck and Taryn, Lord, as my friends, as they're thinking about church planning, that they would know exactly where to go. Come up here. This is the spot the Lord has carved out. This is the space. The man of peace is here. Come up here. Lord, I pray for every church trying to discern what's next. I pray that they would have, have the voice of the Spirit saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And so, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, they've consecrated themselves to you. Would you open your hands just as a sign of, Lord, whatever you want, an openness. Lord, we pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in Scotland as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Come crashing in. Come breaking through the night. Come tearing through the veil. Come with the trumpet call of God. Come with the shout of victory. The shout of the king, let it be among us in our community. Come with healing and come with power and come with gentleness and come with grace. Come with restoration. Come with healing for those who are addicted to drugs. Come with freedom for those who are bound up in darkness. Come with reconciliation for those who have brokenness in families. Come, your kingdom come. And your will be done. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I pray that these ones in this room would be the carriers of it. I pray that these ones would be the ones that go from the upper room out into the streets and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray, Lord, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them and grant them peace, I pray. And Lord, I can see the future in my, in my mind's eye. I can see it by faith. When the kingdom comes and the will of God has been done, when Jesus is seated on the throne and all things are made new, us getting together and going, can you believe what the Lord has done? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? It happened. And so, Lord, we say, do it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray and all God's people said, amen. 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 I love you all. Thank you so much. Grace, 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 grace. Grace.